Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. All right, we're in the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're continuing our line-by-line, verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. I just love it. Hold on one second again. Technical difficulties. We've almost got it. All right, if I was going to give the message today a title, last week it was living our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, it's living our lives in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. How many of you really make it your goal and your ambition in life to live in such a way that God looks down and says, well done, my son, well done, my daughter? I love you so much. You know, if we would do that, I really believe we would appropriate the blessings that God has for each and every one of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not sight. For we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. You know, every major decision I make, I kind of consult the Lord and say, Lord, is this going to bring glory to you? Is this going to be pleasing to you? In our text in Philippians chapter 1, we made it down to verse 27, if you have your Bibles. And we need to desire to please God above all else. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 11, it says, To this end we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in your life, so that the name of the Lord will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by practicing sin or a sinful lifestyle, but being pleasing to the Lord is doing things that we know the Lord would want us to do. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels in heaven. So back to our text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. You're wondering if we were ever going to get there, right? <laughs> By the way, what a blistery day it is out here. We had to tie these things down. I don't know if you remember the one time, but this thing lifted up, and uh, it was pretty crazy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and we'll finish the chapter this morning. It says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This morning I want to talk about living lives that are pleasing to the Lord, but more than that, what pleases God most is when all of his church are in unity. Amen? How many churches are there in Orange County? Just one. We are all members of the body of Christ, and there is one capital C church in the world. Catholic, if you would, which means universal. It's not the Roman Catholic Church, but it is the one church we are all members. And Jesus, the last thing he prayed was, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. Isn't it interesting that that prayer has never been answered? Yeah, hold on tight. <laughs> Woo. I, I think that they should be okay. Okay. But if they do fly away, just grab on. You know, it'll, it'll be a wild ride. We do have insurance, so. <laughs> yeah. Russ. Lord have mercy. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' prayer, you would think of all the people that have prayed, his prayer would be answered. There's two prayers that he prayed that have not been answered. One is this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and this is the part, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. That prayer has not been answered yet. It won't until the millennial reign of Christ. The other prayer, Jesus said, Father, make them one. Make them so united, Lord, that, that they are one. Jesus prayed that, and that prayer has not been answered. I believe Satan has done whatever he can to keep the body of Christ, the capital C Church, divided. And that is why we have so many uh, flavors of Christianity around. So we're going to finish our discussion first on living our lives pleasing to the Lord. If you want, uh, you can turn to these verses. We're going to go through a lot of verses. If you're quick, you can turn there. If not, don't worry. Uh, I will read it, and you can take notes if you would like. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. It says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Don't you love that we are beloved of the Lord? That he loves us. No matter how we fail him and how we just do things that are not pleasing to him, I want you to know this. God loves you this morning. Jesus paid for every sin you will ever commit on the cross of Calvary. And when you run to him, his blood cleanses you. And you are chosen of God, holy and beloved. Put on a heart of compassion of kindness, of humility, of gentleness, and patience. All of those are part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. That's the fruit of righteousness. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples by how good of a Christian you are. No. <laughs> by how legalistic you are. You don't drink, you don't chew, you don't smoke, you don't dance, and you don't go with girls that do, or guys that do. 
nope, 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 nope. <laughs> they will know you're my disciples by what? Your love that you have for one another. The love that you have. This is how the world should know us as believers, that we are so loving that when they engage us in conversation, they experience the love of God. Not the judgment of man. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Uh, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Hey, don't be on that emotional roller coaster. You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The first thing he tries to steal is your money. No, he doesn't care about your money. He, he tries to steal your peace. Because if you don't have peace and contentment in your heart, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, you will turn to anything that will give you temporary peace. And usually it's things that aren't good or pleasing to God. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and that's the seed of your emotions, to which indeed you are called to one body, and be thankful. God is all about peace. Folks, I know so many believers that lack peace. Jesus said, peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Do not let your heart be troubled and neither be afraid. You know, when we have the peace of God in our life, no matter what trial we face, we have the strength to do it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace, I love that, the God of what? Peace. Oh, himself wash you, sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, Speaking of Jesus, it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. God is all about us, his children, having a peace that transcends understanding. We walk to please God in everything, and when we do that, we appropriate the peace of God in our life. Here's what I found when I am trying to please myself. When I am doing things that I know are displeasing to God, I don't have peace. I have anxious thoughts. I have fear. I have uh, anger. I have everything opposite of what God wants to give us. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, note this, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. To live a life pleasing to the Lord is to be in everything you do in word and deed. You're doing it unto the Lord. To be pleasing to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3, which we'll get to probably in a month from now, <laughs> at the rate we're going, 
verse 17, it says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk or live their life according to the pattern that you've seen in us or have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even in tears or weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I really believe that either God is Lord of your life and you're living your life to please him, or your appetites rule your life and you're living your life to please yourself. I know many of you have experienced this. The more I seek and delight in the things of God, the more God blesses me with the desires of my heart. Isn't that a promise in Scripture? Oh, yeah, that psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant the desires of your heart. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all your needs will be met. The more I seek to please myself, the more frustrated I become. The more the fruit of the Holy Spirit are taken from my emotions and my thoughts and my life. Literally pleasing the Lord is bearing good fruit. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk or live your life in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who qualified us to share in the inheritance with the saints of light. I love that. You know, Jesus said, you will know them by what? Their fruit. We're to be fruit inspectors. And I can assure you, your neighbors, your coworkers, and friends, and people of the world are looking at you as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. And they want to see the good fruit of the Holy Spirit. I can guarantee if that's what you demonstrate to them, they will want to get to know Jesus. They will want to come to the Lord. They will ask about the hope that you have in your heart, and you will tell them, man, I have this strength, I have this joy, and I have this peace because of the Holy Spirit of God that's in me. They will want to know you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are figs gathered from thistles. Verse 17. So every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. You will know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. 
And the fruits start with our thoughts and our motives. You know, when we do good deeds, that's good. But if your motives are wrong, that's bad. Our motives are going to be judged. And if you want to bear good fruit, you need to get your thoughts and your motives in line with God's will and God's commands. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For you were formerly darkness, you had bad fruit, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know, I love it that the Bible says you appear as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. We should shine forth the light and the love of God to a lost and hurting world. Ephesians 5.10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, if every day we started our day in the word of God and prayer, and maybe spending time even worshiping God just in the stillness of the morning. And we ask God, Lord, break my heart with the things that breaks yours. Lord, help me to live my life in such a way that it's pleasing to you this day. If we would do that, we would see God move in our lives in a way that we can't even fathom. Life would then become an adventure, and you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But to bear fruit, you have to abide in Christ. Turn to John chapter 15, starting at verse 4. This would be a good day to fly a kite, wouldn't it? Yeah, right? Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly a kite. I mean, fly away. <laughs> John 15, 4, abide in me. This is Jesus speaking. And I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. To abide in Christ, the word in the Greek literally means to abide or to continually dwell with, to endure with, to be present, to be in the now with, always present with Christ, abiding in him, remaining or standing, to live with or stay with, to remain with someone or somewhere, to be in remain, uh, and remain united with one. One with him in heart, mind, deeds, and will. That's from the Greek lexicon. When we abide in Christ, inevitably the fruit of the Holy Spirit will result in our lives. We will have love. We will have joy. We will have peace. We will be faithful to be obedient to the Lord. Oh, we will be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees a brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And that's how the fruit of the Holy Spirit is evident in our life. 
And we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God as well. Second John chapter 1, verse 9, it said, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. God's will for us is to know him and walk in a manner pleasing to him. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, for the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to live our lives worthy of the gospel and pleasing to the Lord, and we can only do that through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask God every day, Lord, fill me with your spirit that I may walk and live my life in a manner pleasing to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I want to caution you, there are many Christians that become legalistic in their walk, and they believe that it is their uh, obedience and their own flesh doing things that that's why God loves them and that's why they're going to be saved. We are saved simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? But in that faith, that free gift of God, like we just read in Ephesians 2.8, we need to begin to do things that are pleasing to God. They will know them by their fruit. So if you have good fruit, you're abiding in Christ. If you have bad fruit, you're still abiding in the things of this world. You're living in the world and not for God. He goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, note this, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's good fruit. So even though we're saved by faith, he says in verse 8, and it's not of works, verse 9, verse 10, he says, but we are his workmanship created, born again, a new creation in Christ to do good works. Which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them or live in them. Back to our text. We are going to finish the chapter today. There's only a few verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that, that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. So in our text, he talks about living our lives worthy and pleasing to God. And the one thing that would please God more than anything is for the church to become united in Christ. The unity of the church is what our text talks about next. And that's what we really need to be all about. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus, part of his high priestly prayer, said this, 
I do not ask on behalf of those alone, the disciples that were around him, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. That's all of us. Note this. That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He goes on to say in John 17, 11, I am no longer of the world, in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as you and I are one. Now that's unity. So Jesus prayed this prayer, and Satan has done whatever he could to make that prayer unanswered. That's why we have so many divisions and schisms in the church today. There's three areas of unity that we need to be one in. Number one, foundationally, it's salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So churches that teach you work your way to heaven, and there's churches that do that, or salvation by any other means except faith in Jesus Christ, we can't be unified with that church. All we can do is rebuke them and correct them because we have to be unified that salvation is solely through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? By the way, that's a truth that every Christian needs to appropriate and know because when you fail God, the enemy always says, you're not good enough to be a Christian. God no longer loves you. You're not going to make it to heaven. And God's like, I paid for that. I already paid for it. You're forgiven. Just repent and come to me. Little child like the prodigal son, as he came home from uh, living a life hellishly in the world, and he thought his dad would never take him back, and his dad ran to him and put that robe on him and that ring of authority on him and threw a feast and a celebration. So foundationally, we, we need to be unified through our faith in Jesus Christ, the only means of salvation. If the uh, church teaches any other means of salvation, we can't be one with them. Number two, we need to be doctrinally unified in all the precepts and commands and practice in Scripture. I've heard people say, we should focus on what and leave out the other. What do they say? Focus on the essentials. And don't worry about the non-essentials. I've said this before, but I always ask them, could I hand them my Bible and say, can you show me what in here is non-essential? So I can rip it out of the Bible and not waste my time studying it? Not one person has been able to show me one thing that is non-essential in the Bible. All Scripture, the Bible says, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting in love. Folks, it's all essential. That's why God gave it to us. That's why we should spend our lives studying the Word of God because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it leads us in paths of righteousness. So we need to be unified doctrinally with all the precepts and commands in Scripture. And number three, Socially, as the body of Christ, we need to be a community of believers that are unified in our faith and love for one another in service to each other. 
in demonstrating the love of God. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, church. You know, he, he told us to love a lot. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Love your enemy. That's a hard one. And to the church, he said, love one another even as I have loved you. If we would do that, what a radical thing. Could you imagine if we literally loved one another as Christ loved us? If when one member hurt, we all hurt. Doesn't the Bible say that? Because we're all the body of Christ. So we need to be unified in love and service to one another. So foundationally, unity in Christ. What time is it? Oh, we still got time. So we're going to finish this. Unity in Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 says, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to you to be of the same mind. That's intellectually being unified together, the same mind and with one accord, according to Jesus Christ, so that with one accord you may also with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doctrinal unity, we need to be unified doctrinally in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul wrote, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. What do we agree on? Doctrinal truth. It's all essential. You know, the only instruction given on how to do church is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I don't know one church that does it, including us. We're trying to get there. But I don't know one church that does the only instruction God has given us in his word on how to do church. And our Thursday night study, after we complete what we're studying now, we're going to go through that section of Scripture because it's important. It's the only instruction we have on how to do church. And yet not one church in the world does it. <laughs> you think Satan has something to do with that? Oh, did, I didn't read the whole verse. 1 Corinthians 1.10 again. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree there will be no divisions. Literally, the word is schisms, factions, or we could say denominations. Huh? I exhort you, church, there should be no denomination at all. It's one church. <laughs> one universal church. And that you may be made complete in the same mind, the same thinking, and the same judgment, the same interpretation of God's word. Interesting. Unity in our faith community. That's through love and service to one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it says, So that there may be no division in the body, the body of Christ, the church, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. You know, the beauty of a small church is we can do that. When one of you suffer, I can assure you, we carry you in prayer and we're with you, uh, uh, praying for you constantly throughout the day. 
Yeah, I, I, I think of all those, Pastor Chris and Heather and Caesar and, and others that are suffering in body. I mean, we're praying for you. We're like, man, anything we can do, we're there for you. So when one member suffers, we all suffer. I got to tell you, in most churches, it's really not like that. In fact, a lot of churches, you don't even know most of the people in the church. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it, so we need to be unified together. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. If we would walk in love, we would be on the road to unity in the body of Christ. If we would let love be the thing that determines what we say and do, we would inevitably live our lives pleasing to the Lord. If true love would be our motivation in our words and our actions, we would live our lives pleasing to the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter said to sum up, the end of the matter is this. All of you be harmonious, live in harmony or unity, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Humility is to prefer someone above yourself. It's strength under control. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Wouldn't it be great in our marriages, even when we were hurt by our spouse, we, we gave a blessing instead of an insult or a curse. We, we lavish them in love even though, and I know the one you love the deepest, you hate the most. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, man, that's why you can really argue in a marriage. I, I, I love it when I'm doing marriage counseling. Man, we just argue like cats and dogs. We're yelling, screaming. We can't stop. It's funny. You can't stop. Have you ever been in the middle of an argument and someone knocks on your door? You, uh, oh, wait. Hello, hi, how, how are you, how you doing? Or the phone rings, oh, just, just a minute. Hi, oh yeah, oh great, no, everything's, everything's fine. <laughs> if you can do that, you can stop. <laughs> we need to love each other, and it starts at home, loving our children, loving our spouse, our parents, honoring our father and mother. And our friends and our church family, if we would be known for love, what unity that would bring. Second Corinthians, and we're about to end. Chapter 13, starting at verse 11. It says, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I love that. 
That's an affectionate greeting. You know, the early church, they were accused of, of um, they called everyone brother and sister, and they always kissed one another when they greeted each other. That's how Europeans got the idea of doing that, by the way. <laughs> you know, the first church in Europe, what was it? Philippi. Remember the introduction? <laughs> That's what we're going through now. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit carry you. That's unity and love. If we want to be pleasing to God, we need to start being people that love. People that are unified in spirit. Worship team, come on up. Back to our text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It's printed on your handout if you don't have your Bibles. Should have told you that in the beginning. <laughs> Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, in unity, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Remember, Paul wrote this from prison. And the book of Philippians, the, the greatest theme of the whole book is to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord. And we do that in our singing to God, and we're so blessed by our worship team this morning. So, Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you love us. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us with the good fruit. Lord, that we would be men and women and young people that love, and we're known for being loving. And God, we do pray that you would bring unity to the church in Jesus name amen and restores my soul satisfies my thank you for listening to staying the course with pastor Brett Peterson if you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info@ccbcu.edu God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word. I love the way it comforts me. Strengthens and restores my soul. Satisfies my needs.